It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I'm going to begin today's episode, which is my first episode that I'm recording in 2023 altogether. This is my first recording. Last night, I was reading this article I found that was recommended by an old friend of mine, and I'm going to share a few quotes from that. My only resolution this year is to create interesting things from the slowest place possible. This is your year to be exactly who you are, where you are, without a clock ticking down. Feel the hours of this day stretch out before you. Nothing I've ever believed or written about has made more of a difference than my firm commitment to move away from our culture's panic stories about time and age and success and locate myself on my own planet where time moves slowly and each moment is worth living no matter what's going on around me. Take a sledgehammer to your tiny, little, anxious window on the world and let some air and some light in. Those words came from a site that I had never checked out before. It is on Substack by, I believe the author's name is Heather, although the site's called Ask Polly. In real time, I'm going to go check this out because I assume that this writer's name is Polly, but it looks like her name is actually Heather. Heather Havreleski, an advice columnist, cultural critic, and author of the memoir Foreverland and three other books, which now I want to check them all out. Oh, I guess there's something else called Ask Molly. I don't know. I will link to this though, because those quotes really resonated with me. It's from a post Heather put out on January 3rd, 2023, which is a day before I'm recording this episode. And the title of that article, which I'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, is called I'm So Far Behind. And it's written as an advice column. (laughs) And I mean, I would just read this entire article to you (laughs) if if that made sense. Maybe I'll try to invite Heather on the show without knowing anything about her yet and not even knowing if her pronouns are her. There's just so much in here. I'll read a few. I'm sure I won't get to them all. (laughs) No one is ahead or behind. No one is best or better. Every day you're alive, you have a new opportunity to enjoy existence on this strange planet. Nothing will make you more special than learning to appreciate the perfect, ragged textures of this moment right now. You need to focus on how well you can soak up the small satisfactions of this day, the little connections, the movement of your gorgeous mind from one thought to the next, the brilliance of your body's motion in space, the light from the window, the sounds from the street below. 
there is no hourglass running out. No alarm will go off if you don't learn everything in time or win all of the awards quickly. No one is watching and measuring. No one holds a secret key to happiness. Being present makes it possible to love other people the way they deserve to be loved. When you're fully present, you can set aside the trippy, anxious measurements of our short-sighted culture and see yourself for what you are. You wouldn't think one lie could draining your energy and generate untold panic and stress every day, but that's how lies work. They're bad for your body, your outlook, and your ability to enter each day with a spirit of openness and discovery. Learning to be honest with yourself and others, even when they don't understand, will give you more room to live by your own standards and values. When you commit to honesty and commit to slowing down and savoring the luxury of being alive as much as you can, when you commit to drinking and knowledge and embracing beauty and delighting in the unpredictable weirdos around you, you will be misunderstood regularly. You cannot, in fact, be open to the world exactly as it is, let it into your pores, breathe it into your lungs, and also be appropriate and clear and perfect and right on time. You don't have to mold yourself into a shape that makes you more comprehensible to others. You take the risk of believing in who you are and what you love, and you don't apologize for those things even when no one gets it. Figure out what kind of space you want to create inside, safe from all of that noise. Step into the storm for a second and feel the shame and disapproval. Eat it up. Breathe it in. Don't rush to catch up. Stay exactly where you are and feel every golden second of it. So those were actually all my highlights from that article. And as I mentioned, I'll link to it because it resonated with me on so many levels. It was perfect timing. I didn't even expect to find that article. It actually came, as I mentioned, from a recommendation from an old friend, someone I, I haven't really been in touch with in a long time. Her name's CL, and she's a big part of my story. Maybe even someone I could credit with being here right now because I met CL through a talk she gave in 2008, I believe in Santa Monica, California. And she spoke in this series that this local grocery store, a co-op that I belong to, gave. And in 2008, I was really deep into my vegan journey. Still new because I went vegan in 2003. So newish. I mean, actually this year, 2023 marks 20 years of me being vegan. So it felt new in 2008, for sure, in hindsight. And I was also becoming even more passionate about sustainability. And I would go to a lot of these talks at the co-op in Santa Monica, and CL spoke at one of them. She was there with two other girls whose names I don't recall, but I actually got to know all three of them. And CL just stood out to me for a lot of reasons. She had this blog, I believe it was called Green LA Girl. And I was in awe of it. I thought how cool that she was helping people in Los Angeles understand how to be more eco-friendly. And I started reading her blog, connected with her, and she was open to bringing me into her world and eventually becoming friends. I just felt so honored. And there was this pivotal moment, ironically, to a lot of the things I intend to talk about today. I went to her apartment one day in Santa Monica and outside it, 
was this bike. And I think it was a fold-up bike. I mentioned something about it to her and she goes, oh yeah, I was given that bike to review. And she said it kind of nonchalant. I was amazed. She got a free bike because she was a blogger. And that bike, I've actually mentioned it on the show at least once before because I remember thinking it was incredible. And that started opening up these possibilities in my mind. I wanted to get free stuff. (laughs) And it's funny now to look back on it. You know, in 2008, blogging was basically the only major form of influence. YouTube had just started in 2007. Instagram, I don't think, had been established yet. Facebook was established. So Facebook was the predominant social media platform back then. And Twitter was just starting to gain some momentum and being taken serious. So I didn't know many people, if anyone else beyond CL and that small group of women that I started to meet through her, it was just nowhere like it is now in 2023, where it's common to know somebody who's a social media influencer or a blogger or whatever, even the word blogger. I don't even know if people use it as much these days. I'm not connected to that world. But that bike, like this idea that you'd be gifted something in exchange for reviewing it. I loved writing and reviewing. And so meeting CL, seeing that bike launched me into my whole career and where I am today, even though it it looks very different. And it's a little interesting to look back on that because there was an innocence I had in 2008 around that world. And I think most people had an innocence because aside from people like CL, I mean, blogging, I don't know much about the history because blogging was not really my passion. Social media became my passion, as I've talked a lot about. Blogging, I felt like, was my segue to social media. I mean, really, it was all I had because there weren't really social media influencers on the few platforms back then. So that didn't even seem like a possibility. So that innocence is interesting and something I want to tune more into especially taking in some of the words that I read from that article, because I felt a little lost over the past few years, three years now. I remember it feeling extremely heavy for me in January 2020. And here I am three years later, feeling like I'm coming out of a bit of a fog and gaining some more clarity, but still knowing I have a long way to go. Because when I look back on the innocence I had seeing that bike at CL's home, and seeing what she was doing with her amazing website and how incredible of a writer she was and how she was running ads on there and generating money and getting speaking appearances. And that was just like the beginning stages. Also with CL, a pivotal moment, we went to a party together. I think she invited me as her guest. And we walked in the door and somebody stopped her on the way in and told her how much they loved her blog. And I just felt like, wow, she's getting free stuff. She's making money from ads and people are recognizing her. And most of those things now are not what I want anymore. I think that's the clarity I have is I can see why a lot of people enjoy getting those things. But there's a cost to it that I'm now aware of, but not entirely clear on. This is what I mean by the fog, is that I felt a bit 
taken advantage of by this world I entered into by no fault of CL, by the way, you know, it's not, <laughs> I want to be clear, like CL wasn't even encouraging me. I don't think I remember when I started eco vegan gal, I almost called it eco vegan girl. And I chose the word gal because I didn't want CL to think I was copying her because green LA girl and eco vegan girl sounded a, a lot alike. So I was like, okay, I'll switch it up a little. But I remember thinking, wow, I don't want her to feel like I'm just trying to replicate what she's doing. So it's interesting to come around. And last night I was reading CL's newsletter. She doesn't do Green LA Girl anymore. She has her own sub stack, which I'll link to. And she is just a phenomenal writer. And she linked to this Ask Polly website. So this is how it's all connected. And it's interesting though, is that One of the big things that I have been working on for the past three years is slowing down and finding my own pace. I have resonated with so many books about that. One of them was Celeste Headley's book, and Celeste came on the show. Her book, Do Nothing, was pivotal for me, and I read that in 2020. It has a lot of the same messaging there. And that phrasing that Heather used in Ask Polly about culture's panic, stories about time and age and success, that's how I felt. I mean, the general panic, the stress, the pressure have ate away at me so much. I didn't really begin to feel that until probably, I don't know when it started. At the latest, when this show started, because Jason, my former co-host, and I were noticing how vapid elements of social media creation felt for us. Like on the influencer world, the content creator world, like it just started to feel so fake. It felt transactional. It felt like, as I said, people were being taken advantage of and used and manipulated And as I mentioned in several episodes recently, as as I've read books like Stolen Focus, I feel a responsibility to myself and other people to speak out about this because there still feels like a general fog. And that memory I have from 2008 of feeling excited about getting things for free, getting paid for creative work and getting attention and validation from other people. Those emotions rule so much of this, at least in my experience. And I think they keep this fog around many of us and blur it a bit where it's hard to make decisions. And I am trying to see through the fog or even dissipate it, clear it ideally, so I can be more in tune with myself. One thing I did four days ago on the first of this year was to delete social media apps off my phone. (laughs) And I laugh because it simultaneously feels like this big deal and like not a big deal. Like people do that all the time. It's not a big deal for most platforms because I barely use Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, etc. They're just not something I visit much. I'll usually go to each platform with a purpose. For example, Facebook, I use groups. I use messaging sometimes. 
every once in a while I dabble in Facebook Marketplace and generally feel very irritated by how poor of an experience that is. And actually, I went on Facebook a few days ago. So I deleted these apps off my phone, but it's been a different experience on my computer. On my computer, it as stolen focus gets into the way the technology works, like visiting social media on a computer is a whole different experience. There's some functionality that doesn't work on a computer. It only works well within the mobile apps. And I feel like it's less tempting to scroll for a while to get absorbed into it. I feel like I can have a more conscious relationship with social media. My intention is to take a big break if not fully step away from social media. I haven't decided yet, but maybe it'll be fluid. Maybe no decision needs to happen. But when I went onto Facebook, I think it was yesterday, I saw this message from my old college roommate who I really miss. This person was really important to me during the time that we lived together in the dormitories. And she randomly had reached out to me weeks ago, but I didn't know because I don't go on Facebook that much. So similarly, Twitter, I feel a bit heartbroken over Twitter because Twitter was a huge part of my social media journey. Once I started Eco Vegan Gal in 2008, I started using Twitter a ton. I got mentioned in Twitter roundups. Like I got my first press pieces back then. It all started to snowball a lot. So Twitter, I have so much nostalgia for. And I go on Twitter every once in a while and just feel like sad because the behind the scenes of Twitter as a business feel a bit disturbing, even though I still have some positive feelings about Elon Musk. (laughs) I'm starting to feel less and less of that and certainly uncomfortable with the decisions he's made there. So I go on Twitter and just feel icky, to be honest, and yet sad because I would like it to be what it used to be. And Instagram, I really only go on there to check notifications and respond to messages. I mentioned previous solo episode from last week that in the past, I've encouraged listeners like yourself to reach out to me through Instagram direct message. But I want to be clear that I might go on Instagram once a week at most just to read messages. And I would prefer not to, to be honest. So I think I want to phase that out in 2023 as best I can. It's tough with all this history. That's one thing that explains some of the fog that I feel and maybe many of us feel is is we stepped into social media as a culture, as a society with a lot of excitement and trust for the most part. And for someone like myself that built a career off of social media and still has that career because I work with clients advising them on social media. It's still a big part of my life. It probably will remain so for at least this year. I don't know. Remains to be seen, but it's hard to step away and look out outside of it. And it's also hard to leave it behind when so much of your life is intertwined with it. I can announce all sorts of things and people still might not see it. I mean, that's one of the worst parts about social media now is there's just so much information and the algorithms don't show everybody everything. And it just sometimes feels impossible to convey things. I remember a great example of that and showing that this is not a new thing at all is when I moved away from Los Angeles in 2010, I left for a year. I had a big going away party. I don't know if I expected to like 
never come back to LA. <laughs> I don't even know why I had a going away party, but I moved to LA, I think in 2004. So I've been in town for a long time and had a party. And I guess that party and, and all my posts about living in San Francisco for a year really resonated with people because when I moved back to Los Angeles in 2012, so I guess, wait, maybe I moved away in 2011. It doesn't matter. I was gone for about a year and a few months. When I moved back, it took years for people to know that I moved back. Like, I would get so irritated because people would say, oh, I didn't know you moved back until I am like, I talk about it on social media all the time. Don't you see? So even in 2012, 11 years ago, social media was set up that people would miss your important information. And I acknowledge this now because I think that is helpful in realizing that you can say something over and over again and people will not see it or hear it or understand it. And it just goes to show that no matter how hard you try to put information out there, a percentage of people will never know or never care. And so maybe that can help with realizing that it's not the most effective form of communication (laughs) or maybe no form of communication is truly effective because people's brains are scattered and people think differently and process information differently. And For so long, I just felt a lot of pressure to do social media right. And the more that I read books that touch upon or dive deep into social media and technology, I recognize that there just is no right way. As Ask Polly said in some of those quotes too, I think a lot of us just strive for things that we're never going to achieve. And yet we're told over and over again that we can achieve them. A book that I just started reading yesterday, I believe, is called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And I heard about this book, ironically, through TikTok. And let me pause there because I realized I just didn't finish like my deletion of social media talk. So I deleted all these apps and the hardest one for me was TikTok because TikTok for the past three years or more, because I joined TikTok in 2019, I spent three plus years using that app almost every single day. How many days is that? That's like a thousand days, right? (laughs) How many days? Well, let's see, 365 times three. Yeah, that's over a thousand days. It's a thousand ninety-five days. And like I said, it's probably been over three years. So Let's just say been using TikTok for a thousand days, most of them consecutive. So to delete it off my phone and to spend four days in a row not using it feels significant. And it's something that I've been wanting to do, but didn't feel the motivation to do. There's a benefit to New Year's for me, which is that there's an opportunity to just experiment with something on the first day of the year and see what happens and say, well, a lot of people in society have New Year's resolutions. Maybe I can participate, even though I don't fully resonate with resolutions anymore. And I also, on the first of the year, didn't want social media to play a big role in my life. I didn't want to be consumed with it. I didn't want to be staring at my phone all day. So I just wanted to see what happened. And it's amazing how much of a shift that has had for me in the past four days. 
And I want to keep going as a result. So interesting when you try something that feels quite radical for you or different or a big shift that you might start off doing it day by day and each day your resilience can grow and it can feel interesting to continue. So that's my plan and I'll keep you posted. And it's also amazing that just four days can have these huge ripple effects. So for me, I started reading a ton more. So get ready because (laughs) historically I quote a lot of books on this show and rave about them. And I think that has a possibility of increasing. I picked up a new book today. Like as I mentioned, I think last Monday, I have a tendency to read multiple books at a time and switch back and forth. I'm really struggling with reading fiction, but I'm slowly working my way towards that. And that may or may not come up. I'm actually going to try reading a few books that I saw the movie versions of. One was the movie White Noise on Netflix, which I didn't really like. I appreciated elements of it. And I felt very curious about what the book was like because people have raved about the book. And the other I watched, I think two days ago, it's called Where the Crawdads Sing. And I've heard of the book and the movie and I was blown away by the movie. It was so good. Much better. There's a great twist at the end I never saw coming. And I'm looking forward to reading the book version because I bet it's even better. So the nonfiction, though, tends to be my preference. And that has been what I turn to. Generally, when I feel tired or overstimulated, I need a break, I will get on my phone and I will scroll through TikTok until I feel satisfied. But the trick is, is that I have often felt a conflict there, which is a sense of stimulation. It almost feels like I'm getting the dopamine hit that I want. And yet, along with that comes a lot of negativity. I might fall into the comparison trap by seeing people who are younger than me and feeling less worthy because I'm older and society has all of these weird, as uh, Heather put it, panicked stories about age and time and so much of success placed upon people who are younger. And that might not even be true because... (laughs) Everybody has somebody younger than them unless they were born a second ago. Even then, like someone could have been born a half a second ago and be younger than you. And so amazing to reflect on age and the comparisons around that because everybody experiences that in life. And yet society puts all of these strange emphasis on it. And I think about age and why I fall into the comparison trap because when I was whatever age, like let's say I'm on TikTok and I see a girl at X age and I'll think back to my life at X age. Let me tell you, most of the time when I think about back to that, I didn't feel happier than I am today. I might not have been happier. I might have been less happy. When I think back to who I was in 2008, for example, sure, there was excitement and promise. And in hindsight, I can say, wow, like if only I knew what life would be like 15 years later. But I didn't know that then. And back then I was already comparing myself, even though I wasn't using social media, 
I was comparing myself to CL, for example. I was envying her. I thought she had all these things that I wanted and I had all this work to do to get there. So it's kind of silly to compare ourselves and it's silly for society to place so much emphasis on age. And yet it's hard to control that. And that's one of the reasons TikTok didn't really feel that good is because I think that's just how our brains work. I don't know if it's possible at all to not compare as a species. We've somehow evolved or as as a society, I suppose, we've evolved to just compare, compare, compare. And so that was a huge component of TikTok. Every few seconds, every 10 to 60, maybe a few minutes I would spend on one TikTok before I scrolled to the next. And it was that instant impression of someone and whether I felt better or worse than them. And even when I felt better than somebody after watching a TikTok, that's not the greatest feeling. I don't want to feel better than, but it happens. Oh, well, maybe I feel like my appearance is better than them. Maybe I feel like my age is better than them. Maybe I feel like my work and my life and my home, on and on and on. It's like looking for that validation. And then speaking of validation, TikTok is built on that, gives everybody the opportunity to be validated and simultaneously everybody the opportunity to feel invalidated because you might post a video and go viral on TikTok, but you also could post a video and barely get any views at all and feel awful that nobody cares and your content wasn't worthwhile. You can post a comment and get tons of people liking your comment and you can post a comment and get negativity around it and cruel responses, or you can post a comment and nobody will respond at all. That I experienced all the time. Ugh. I had one comment go, quote, viral. And and last I checked, it had like 16,000 likes on my words. My words under a video got all of this attention. And it simultaneously made me feel good and really annoyed me. I'm like, okay, I've had enough. I don't need any more. <laughs> I get it. People resonate with those words, but beyond the heart and the light there, it had no other meaning or benefit in my life. It's not like people were liking my comments and saying, wow, Whitney Lauritsen, what a great human being. No, they resonated with my words and that's it. And they moved on. So it felt unpleasant in a lot of ways because something that was meant to maybe make me feel validated actually ended up making me feel very empty and annoyed to get all those notifications. There were other times I would comment on a video and nobody would acknowledge it. And I would feel empty from that too, because I thought, wow, nobody cares about what I said. And isn't that kind of sad? Like I'm commenting for connection. I talked about this, I believe in the last week's episode about how my desire on social media is connection. And sometimes putting something out in the world where nobody responds to it feels like the exact opposite of connection. It feels lonely and disconnected. And I had that experience on TikTok all the time, wondering if I said something wrong or said something that people were laughing at or said something that was misinterpreted or misunderstood or whatever else. Like I would get caught up in this stuff. Now I'm going to miss, and I have missed the last four days, the dopamine hits from TikTok, but I'm getting satisfaction from The movies I've watched, I started watching some more documentaries. I started watching some critically acclaimed movies. I started watching things that make me feel good. And that's helping my attention span too. Huge thing people have noticed through platforms like TikTok and Instagram. This stuff happens too with Instagram reels and all of that style of these quick short videos are impacting a lot of our attention spans and the desire to seek 
dopamine hit and validation, all this stuff over and over again. People have noticed that it's impacted the way that they watch long form content and that they don't feel like they have the attention span for it anymore. And that concerned me because I would notice how I started to get really bored watching TV and movies. Like I just like felt antsy and I'm like, oh, like get to the good part. And to sit down and watch some of these long movies. I've watched a couple recently. Oh, and Avatar. Can't remember I mentioned this. I went and I saw Avatar in the movie theater. And that movie was, what, over three hours long? I felt like, wow, what a great exercise to sit in a movie theater and not be on my phone and just focus on something for that long. Like, I think that's important. And the same thing with reading books, like it takes focus, it takes presence. And that might not give us the dopamine hits right now, but maybe over time it can. I don't know if that's true, but I would like that to be true. (laughs) I feel like being off TikTok has slowed down time too. As I mentioned, reading this book, 4,000 Weeks, has really been fascinating because it touches upon our experience of time as human beings, how we on average only have 4,000 weeks of life. That's what that title means. And I had never really thought about the average lifespan in terms of time. But 4,000 does not seem like that big of a number. And it is a bit of a wake-up call. But also recognizing that we have different experiences with time and time, our experience of time fluctuates throughout our life, depending on circumstances. It has been said that the older you get, the faster life seems to go. And that scares me. I remember my grandfather saying that. I don't want that to be the case for me. I don't know if I can control it, but I feel a desire to be conscious about time. Just like Polly was saying, to feel the hours of the day stretch out before you. And to create interesting things from the slowest place possible. To savor it, really, that's what that's about. And social media has not helped me savor it. In fact, I feel a bit heartbroken when I think back over these last 15 years that I've spent so immersed in social media. I want to note that social media appeals to me on so many levels, some that I am not fully aware of yet. But before social media, I was creating my own versions of it. So it filled a hole for me. It, it met a need, perhaps, or a desire for me, which I actually, through the exchange with my old college roommate, I found this website I made while we were in college, years before social media was developed. Or, well, maybe not. Yeah, I guess years is accurate. Maybe it was a year or two before I got on Facebook and all of that started to develop. And I basically created my own version of Facebook on this website. And it's funny because I have like pictures and captions and I would like write in a style that is basically how people write now for social media captions. Like that was helpful for me because I recognize that there is an authenticity to me because I was doing it before, it was a trend. (laughs) It's funny, Jamie Lee Curtis, if you haven't heard her say this, at least one talk show, she has said that she helped invent Instagram. And she kind of did a similar thing where she was 
I think she got like a group of people together and they are posting their photos and captions and stuff like that. So clearly we were yearning for that as a society. I was yearning for that in college, like the desire to just like showcase my life and tell people things and gather information. I started blogging before Eco Vegan Gal. I was sharing journals of my life and and that felt satisfying. I've been journaling for a good part of my life. I think many people enjoy documenting and some of us want to keep it private, but many of us want somebody else to witness us. We want to be seen. We want to feel heard. And then some of us want that validation that I've described. And maybe most of us do. It feels good to feel validated. It feels good for someone to approve of us and like us and follow us. It feels gives us a sense of importance and meaning in life that most of us are striving for. But the heartbreak that I feel from the past 15 years is that social media started to consume me so much, probably because it A, gave me the validation on a personal level, but B, it gave me a career path. Just as I saw CL getting that, I yearned for making money through my passions and my personality. And it it felt like this big ease of work and this excitement of like, ooh, there's so much money to be made. But I fell into a trap because I felt like I was so close to making all of this money by just being myself. But the trick was I, I actually got farther away from myself. And that is sad. I also got farther away from life and life sped up. Those 15 years went by in a blink of an eye. And I'm not blaming that on social media, but I see how I wasn't fully savoring things. I wasn't connecting with people as deeply. I wasn't the true expression of myself. I was a version of myself that was shaped by who I thought I needed to be in order to make money and get validation. And that makes me feel a little sick to my stomach. And I wasn't savoring life because I was so focused on creating that image. And to look at all these moments that I saw through the lens of a camera and thought about through the framework of writing a social media caption or a blog post. Even now I do it still. Like I said, I'm not through the fog. I'm not in the clear yet. I thought about this podcast episode, for example. I I still do it. Sometimes when I read a book, I'm distracted because I'm thinking about how I could talk about it on the podcast. That I feel okay with right now. Clearly, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. That feels like a gentler version of what I've experienced over the past 15 years, which the heartbreak again is spending so many years taking pictures of beautiful things instead of just being in the beauty. When I did my 2020 road trip, the first of my now annual tradition of traveling across the country, I was with my friend Leanne, as I mentioned many times. It's it's a pivotal time for me. I think I read the Do Nothing book around that time too. So I was starting to ponder a lot of these things. And like I mentioned, the beginning of 2020, I was kind of like trying to figure that out. So this is nine months later, nine months into 2020 in September. And it really struck me how I didn't really want to be in photos 
I didn't want to spend my time on that trip taking photos and writing social media posts. And Leanne did. I would see the photos that she was taking and the captions she was writing. And there are moments where I I just really noticed, like, we're still in the moment. We're still there. But yet both of us felt a pressure to document it for people that weren't there. And sometimes we would wait and we would post things when we were doing something that seemed more boring. But then all this pondering I've been doing lately, it's, it feels silly to see any moment of life as boring. If we only have 4,000 weeks on average, there isn't perhaps any moment that's truly boring. In fact, in the book, 4,000 Weeks, the author points out that the concept of feeling bored is not something human beings have ever always experienced. He documents like different points of life and our relation to time and work and all that. And and that's like a relatively new thing for us, according to him. I don't know if this is fully true, but the fact that like there was this one moment on that road trip in 2020 with Leanne where she was posting her social media caption as we were charging my car in a parking lot, but we were in Sedona, Arizona. That was my first time in Sedona and it's a really beautiful place. It's known for having like healing, spiritual, energetic properties. And we were in this really cool parking lot. And yet that was boring. That was like a period where we deemed necessary to spend time on our phones and social media. And looking back, I just find that odd. There was truly no part of that trip that was boring to me. In hindsight, it was all amazing. It was all worthy of being savored. And yet so much of that was spent perceiving it as boring. And so much of it was spent as evaluating what parts of that trip were worthy of being posted, worthy of being considered a highlight. But what if it was all a highlight? And I think social media kind of forces us to view life through that lens of what's a highlight and what's a low light, what's Instagram worthy. And then on top of all of that, we edit commonly, not all of us, but many of us edit our highlights. So not only are we plucking things out of life and judging them based on excitement and boredom, highlights and lowlights, et cetera, and then crafting this whole post around them, but then we edit them. We edit our words about them. We edit the photos. We edit the videos and we cut things out. I mean, like if we can step back and say, wow, like We're kind of literally doing that too. Like social media, I think, has shifted the way our brains work and the way that we perceive things. And then, of course, there's all these other elements of social media, right? The measurements that happen. And I was thinking about how I'm planning to go to an event in three weeks for podcasting, actually. I felt a bit conflicted about going on a number of levels, but I'm compelled to go because I would love to learn some new perspectives on podcasting since this is my main creative outlet right now and something I care deeply about. And one thing I've considered is, okay, what if I continue being off social media? And what if when I get to this event in three weeks, somebody asks me what my social media handle is? Like, I cringe at that. Like, my stomach tightens because it's commonplace. It's just in a environment like that, like going to a podcast event, it is common practice to exchange social media handles and to tag each other in posts and to take pictures together. And I don't want to do any of that. 
So of course I'm an adult and <laughs> or any human being is able to opt out and is able to state that they don't do those things. But it's complicated for me because I also have my career in social media strategy and, and consulting and all that. And I just think like there's a ripple effect to opting out, as I've mentioned. And there's also like a societal or community cost because if everybody or the majority is doing something and you opt out of it, you can feel disconnected. You can feel isolated, alone, weird, etc. And I have to weigh out that for myself. Like, what are the costs? What are the benefits? I don't know yet. Something I will be exploring. And it might not seem like that big of a deal. I Couldn't I just say to people, oh, I'm not doing social media right now? That could actually have a big benefit. Like, what if that strikes up a more interesting conversation? I can't remember if I've mentioned this recently, but my friend Paul Jarvis, I met, I believe, through social media. If not directly through social media, we probably met somehow through the journey of social media. And to my knowledge, Paul is not on it at all. I don't even know if he posts on his website anymore. He's an incredible writer. If you're not familiar with him, he's released several books. He's been on this podcast, so you can listen to his episode if you'd like. And he runs an online business, but yet has opted out of social media. And I have so much respect for him. (laughs) I think that is so cool. And I've known Paul for many years. We've actually become closer, I think, since he left social media. So it is an indication that you don't have to lose connection with somebody just because you opt out of that system. Just like I've said today and on a previous episode, I may not respond to direct messages on social media anymore. I may choose to just communicate with people through email and my private community beyond measure. In fact, as I've said, my preference would be beyond measure. I would rather connect with you there in one place Because it's a safe place. It's a place designed for connection versus social media that does not feel designed for connection. And as I said before, I think that is what I keep coming back to is if I want to connect, if connection is what I'm seeking, and if I'm in alignment with what Heather said, which is my only resolution this year is to create interesting things from the slowest place possible. Now, I would add My resolution is to experiment with social media, my relationship with it, and also to create connection. But I like this slow element. I want to savor things. I want to be more in tune with myself. I want to do less shaping, working on unmasking myself and really revealing who I am at the core and not who I've become to please other people and to fit in and all of that. It takes a lot of work, funny enough, to strip away. And it also goes against a lot of social construct. And that's what makes it hard. And it's hard to shift out of the habit that you've been doing for 15 plus years, like I have. Looking over my notes, one thing I wrote down as I was reflecting on this episode is maybe it's better not to know what everyone else is doing. Like I said about the comparison, the thing I've enjoyed about TikTok is being in the know. And I've been afraid of missing out, that fear of missing out. In fact, I made a note on that in one of the books I was reading. I can't remember where it came from, but 
I think there's a lot to reflect on when it comes to missing out. Like, do we ever really miss out? Maybe we can tune more into that joy of missing out, which is JOMO instead of FOMO, something I've been reflecting on for years. I think I heard that term in like 2018, 2019. Like there's benefits to missing out on things. The clarity is a big benefit. That's something I felt in just the past four days. I'm, I feel like I'm learning more. I'm, and I'm also not fully missing out because I started reading more. So I'm reading not only books more and watching documentaries, but I'm also reading email newsletters that I've been avoiding and haven't felt the mental space for. Being off of social media opened up mental space for me to do things that I've been procrastinating. And I'll end this to kind of be full circle with a quote from CL's newsletters, which is the whole reason I even came across Ask Polly. If it weren't for being off of social media, I probably wouldn't have read CL's newsletter and I wouldn't have discovered Ask Polly. And in her newsletter, there are two great quotes. If I have nothing to work towards, what do I even do with my days? I suppose that's the reason we come up with resolutions, to keep ourselves focused and busy and thus able to avoid existential questions that make us worry life may ultimately have no real purpose or meaning. Meaningful or meaningless, it's still fun to be alive. What if, instead of working towards goals, you experimented with happiness instead? And isn't it amazing that 15 years later, in all the ways that I've shifted, changed, and all the ways CLs change, I still deeply resonate and aspire to integrate the things that she's integrating in her life. And CL is such a beautiful example of someone that has had such an enormous impact on me in ways that she may never really know unless she listens to this podcast. And I've tried to tell her, but I don't even know if it if it resonates. But CL, if you are listening, I'm grateful. Even though the path that I ended on for 15 years after seeing that bike in your driveway wasn't always a joyful path, it's still given me so much. And to add to those resolutions, the idea of experimenting with happiness at a slow pace and seeking more connection and joy sounds like a really lovely way to spend the future, however long that may be. Thank you for listening. If you would like to share what's going on in your life, I'm going to offer you one place to do that, which is Beyond Measure. I actually finished a Beyond Measure call, which we have every week in the community. Everyone in there is invited to join a Zoom and we gather to support one another, to hold space for one another, to share. And I invite you to come into that space. You can also do it just through text. So Beyond Measure is set up kind of like a social network where more like a forum where you get into the community and you can post thoughts and feelings and people can comment. And my favorite part in the core element is those calls where you can come on and you can just listen. They are on Zoom right now. That could change in the future, but it's actually been a really amazing tool because I developed ways for people to participate through emojis. <laughs> so essentially, they're, they're called reactions on Zoom, but you can like give a thumbs up or a heart and you don't have to say anything. Or you can opt out entirely and just be there as an observer. I've really tried to construct it in a way that works for 
anyone's interest. And I think I've been saying this for years, but I'm slowly working towards charging for Beyond Measure. It's been free for almost three years. I started it in 2020. And I've always had the vision of charging something to offset the cost because there's costs involved with running the platform and there's costs from the time I spend. It's it's a lot of work, but it's brought me deep joy and connection. It's integrated a, a lot of things I've talked about. And I'm bringing it up now because I want to remind you or tell you for the first time if you've never heard of it. That it really is the ultimate place for you and me to connect, but also for you to connect with other people, people that listen to this show, people that I've met throughout my life. And it's really benefits my life beyond words. And I get so much incredible feedback from people who it's also benefiting from because it is always designed to keep you safe and secure and supported and uplift you and ways that you may not never have imagined. So whether you join now while it's still free or in the future when there might be a small charge for it, I would just love to have you there. And if Beyond Measure is not a fit, but you would really like to share something with me based on this episode or any episode of the show, I invite you to email me and you can find my email along with the links and the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Thank you for listening. Wishing you the very best with your own explorations and potential resolutions and your ultimate journey (laughs) wherever you are in life. I'll be back again on Friday with a, a guest on the show. Let me take a look and see who we have coming up this Friday. Ooh, episode is a rich one. They're always rich. (laughs) But this one is about decluttering. So that'll be here on Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'll be back next Monday with another episode and I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. So stay tuned if you want to find out. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.